welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Austin. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Matt. Not Manny, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> we literally just recorded Faz and Manny's in the chat room. Yeah. Ryan is my Gamers Inn host. Hi, Ryan. How's it going? I, man, I mean, you haven't even called me Garrett or Dills. Or, <laughs> I know. I've literally never done that before. Or, or Jules or, or, uh, or Quote Nevermore. Nevermore. It's just like, yeah. Manny, that's a, that, it took, it took a lot of effort. 323 episodes. You did it. We broke. Just broke my brain. Broke my brain. <laughs> no, I, I think it's just it is the season for for scrambled eggs up top because I this week I, every time I look at the calendar it's like oh my gosh you know we've been we've been doing movie nights with with Caden I think he's old enough that we can kind of sit him in front of a TV and, and watch a movie together so like it's always Saturday like Saturday's just around the corner it's like what movie are we gonna watch and he always says the movie we watched last week and i'm like well i'm not watching shrek again it was delightful but i'm not watching it again in a, in a row so it's just the weeks are just going by so quickly i i don't know how i found time to play the games that we're going to talk about um but i'm glad i did find time so um how are you <laughs> Good. I found a lot of time to play uh, the first game we're going to talk about, which is Detroit Become Human. I think I played probably about 30 hours all together of nice. this game. Uh, I finished it, I fi or at least I finished one playthrough. Mm -hmm. And there's this like AI type robot chick in the main menu who tells you that you probably shouldn't go back and like replay chapters before like finishing a playthrough one time so the right. first time that you try to go back and reload a, a flow a flow chart she's like i recommend that you go and try and go all the way to the end before you actually go and replay chapters and um hmm. i've got to say i both now that i've finished the game and, and i promise i won't spoil anything but uh. um now that i have played all the way through a playthrough and I've tried to go back and change events that I want to see different outcomes for. It's kind of a giant pain in the ass to go back. Oh. I do think that this game is super replayable and the story is really interesting. And I've seen because basically what happened was very, very early on, like within one of the first like five or six chapters, there's two potential different outcomes and I didn't want to just keep replaying it over and over. So like I played it through once and then I played it through again because I basically I was playing on the hard difficulty where it gives you a lot of chances to kill off your characters. Mm -hmm. And uh, so at the end of one chapter, they make it look like your character dies. And I was like, well, I don't want that to happen. So I went through and played it and made sure I got the other outcome. And it doesn't matter which way you go. Like it, it ends this in a similar way it's just like or i guess from the android perspective it ends the same way it's just like all the stuff that happens around him changes hmm. so uh so i just kind of went with my second playthrough because i was like oh that wasn't actually all that different but then because it happens so early on the events of that like it does really compound itself um so I decided after I finished my whole first playthrough that I was going to go back to that chapter and do it the other way, which was the original way that I'd done it and kind of see how that impacted later chapters. And because things like 
impact on each other and your whole story unravels a different way. Like there are some flow charts that when you look at them at the start of a chapter, there's like four different flow charts and you can kind of like jump from one to the other, but there's like four different starting points and mm -hmm. there's like 16 different potential endings. And in just one chapter, like the whole flow chart is so complicated that it's just like you've made so many decisions all the way through that it's almost impossible to figure out exactly what comes in at what point. So like mm -hmm. I tried to replay back the way that I did it the first time with that with we'll call it ending number one. And I literally couldn't figure out where in the game I should pick up the story again to find out the impact of that decision. <laughs> so I just kind of like I gave up on my on my replay through, I guess. I was just messing around this afternoon. I beat it last night. Um, and so because I couldn't figure out the natural like next insertion point of where this would actually make a difference, um, I started looking up a couple things online, hmm. specifically the character who I was trying to find because he he doesn't show up in too many of the chapters. So I thought it would be easiest if I narrowed things down by like the, the lesser character. And uh, so when I was Googling him, I found a couple of little spoilers and a couple more information about other things that happen in the chapter where he reappears. And I was literally like, even just with a couple of sentences, cause I tried not to spoil myself too much because I do really want to go back and replay a whole bunch of stuff. Um, I was just like, as I was reading these couple of like headlines, basically, I was like, holy hell, there's a way that that can happen. Uh -huh. No way. <laughs> like. The it's interesting with this game, you mentioned the flowcharts and how with most adventure games that we play, they hide that stuff behind behind the the, the, the curtain, right? They don't yeah, show that to, to you. Yeah, you kind of guess what the big important decision, may, decision is going to be that's going to throw you down a different path. Right, but oftentimes, and Telltale is a, is a, is a large culprit of this, oftentimes the, the thing behind the curtain is just one dude with pulleys like pulling one back and forth there's no real impact to your choices outside of some you know minuscule changes in this game when they show you the flow chart they're i think they're putting all their cards on the table and saying like this is a genuine choose your own adventure type game and this is the type of game i want from adventure titles and i know the budget's different it's a larger scale it's a full price game so it's it's different however like playing this makes me never want to touch a telltale game again because it's not going to live up to the the flowchart aspect of this and I, there's a specific mission that I know you're referencing and it's it's after you get to choose from three different sort of locations and you can work through the game to unlock each of those locations they all have their bonuses and perks and 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 negatives and depending on what one you choose when you return to those characters and open up the flowchart you see basically the flowchart starting point is split in, into three mm -hmm. and then those three have different branching paths and it's basically like three chapters worth of flowcharts in one they kind of yep. like mix and weave in a bit but they don't it's clearly showing that this is a this is a meaty chapter that you're going to have to your three choices are going to lead to three different pieces of gameplay three different sets of cinematics and mm -hmm. This game is I can't even believe beautiful. the amount of voiceover work and stuff oh. that's in here. It's insane, especially when like I like I mentioned all the different potential endings and stuff and mm. all the different endings have different pathways to get there and there's been times where I did go back and replay some stuff and it's like 
similar and there are some reused voice lines. Mm-hmm. Um, there actually, there is one that I played through that was a quite a short scenario and I played it through four times because I just wanted as much information as possible. And, um, with all the different playthroughs of it, there were a couple of repeat voice lines, but the majority of it, I've got to say like each playthrough probably had five to 10 minutes of unique voiceover work Hmm. i was just like not to mention all the animation that goes along with that like all the motion capture like oh man just the amount of the amount of work that went into this game is incredible and uh i think and so which difficulty did you decide because there's two difficulties there's um casual and i can't remember what the other one's called experienced is it experienced okay so i went with that one because i kind of figured that i i mean I don't think there's a difference in difficulty, just a difference in consequence. And I felt like... I think the flowcharts are either Hmm. different or... Well, I think they are different. um, But Hmm. it's just... I think that there's more potential lethal options that open up to you. Like, there's more branches on the flowcharts in the experienced version. Because you can... There's, like, very few branches when you're moving through the experienced flowcharts that actually result in all of your characters surviving. Like there are a lot of points where characters die in this game. <laughs> and, you know, I haven't had, well, when we played the demo, I had uh, Connor die. So the first mission and, and the demo, right. by the way, is, is the first mission. That so is the first chapter. Yeah. If you're looking to, to try this game, the demo is perfect because there's literally no spoilers. You're just going to play through a segment of the first. It's the first chapter and it gives you a really good sense uh, of, of the game. But yeah, I, he can he can die in that moment. But it but it felt like when you die in that demo, you're really you're 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 making a slight mistake and then the fact that you can repeat to try to not have your your character die is an interesting sort of addition to this because i haven't had a i haven't had a moment where i'm like i need to go back and play that again um outside of looking at this chapter and and noting it as like i need to come back here and see what these other you know possibilities and the cool thing about the flowchart is actually you know the the chapters are all spread out, so you jump between characters. So you're not it's not a linear story in that you're you know playing as Kara, the the housekeeper robot, straight through her story. You're jumping over to Connor, the uh, the detective, and and Marcus, um, the, the the painter, uh, the helper. revolutionary, basically. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Eventually, I, I haven't. I mean, he's uh, he hasn't quite gotten there, but I I, I mean, it's foreshadowed pretty strongly uh, yeah. the mission after uh after the 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 paint after the painter scenario um so yeah i i think that it's interesting how that works in that it'll show you in the flowchart like this moment or this beat of the story is starting because you did something and it'll actually tell you Mm -hmm. what you did and it's like uh i don't know um uh, i'm trying to think of a, a spoiler free example like kara Kara cleaned up the Chinese food pro- appropriately, like, and that mm-hmm. that's not actually a consequence, but it's it's. But it's yeah, it's like so. If you uh, talk to a person or encounter a person in, say, chapter three, maybe in chapter ten, mm-hmm. you might have a yellow box that says, "Oh, because you met Susie, yes. Susie is now going to offer you ice cream." That's a much stronger <laughs> example because I like ice cream, 
and it's not a spoiler. Yes. Because there's no ice cream in this game, from what I've yes. seen. Um, so it's it's actually really interesting because when you look at the flow charts at the end of each chapter, it'll yeah. actually show you with little yellow unlocks which of the things that you did that are going to have consequences later on. So oh, yeah. then you can actually see what things you've unlocked that are going to change your story. And then later on, they'll show up in your flowchart as big yellow boxes that are like, this box wouldn't have been here had you not blah, blah, blah. And it'll say like, so-and-so did this thing in chapter chapter name. And that's the first box in that section of your flowchart. So when something like that happens, the only thing is, and I kind of wish that they did this, when things are locked and not viewable in your flowchart, you get no information about them. So it's like I kind of wish that in the flowchart before you've discovered it, there was like a yellow outline around something so that you knew that it was something from a previous uh, chapter that was unlockable. Because right now I find myself like oh. often checking the flowchart and being like, oh, there's something in this hallway before I get to the next thing that I'm missing because there's things that aren't unlocked but really what that probably is is something that I didn't do you know chapters ago but there's no way to tell if it's something that I need to find in the current chapter or something I should have unlocked a while ago and should stop looking for so I found I wasted a lot of time trying to discover everything and follow the flowcharts to a T almost if that makes sense mm -hmm. like there are definitely some like why intersections where you have to make a choice left or right. But then there's a whole bunch of other things that tend to um, like happen potentially at the same time, like clues that you can find and, and things like that. And uh, like I say, sometimes it would be really nice if there was a way to tell before you've actually unlocked it, just what the origin of the thing was, mm -hmm. because I felt like I spent a ton of time looking for things that I couldn't actually find. Yeah, the the, the flowcharts. Um, th there's a bit more they could do there to you know f uh, give you a hint at, at at where you should go back. But they do they do break. This is this is groundbreaking, and that they give you a lot more information than any other game ever has in this genre. Mm -hmm. And you gotta you gotta really take your hat off to this because I I I know it's really hard to develop these branching paths. I mean. Those choose your own adventure books from when we were kids, like those aren't those aren't easy to design. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe they're a little easier to design than this, but like it's it's crazy that they've laid this all out for you. And um, I think they do kind of denote sort of uh, it's hard to tell, but in the flowchart there are these like bolded brackets before like a you know undiscovered event, and sometimes those do unlock to be um, like a consequence from a previous chapter or you found something, but. You're right. It's hard to tell, and that is a bit of a bummer, but also preserves the discoverability of of going back. That's and true. I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily want it to be like spoiled, spoiled, but mm -hmm. I also find that like because this game is so big, and because there are so many consequences, like I'll I'll admit for the first like five or six chapters, I was really worried about this game because <laughs> I watched well, I watched Matt play uh, the first three chapters, I think, right. or maybe four. And the first few chapters are literally like the androids doing their android assigned jobs. Mm -hmm. So it's literally like at least the Connor story was interesting because he's at least a police negotiator detective guy. So there was that like whole crime going on and you had to talk the android off the roof. 
But the other two, like, one is a maid and one is, like, a domestic assistant to an old guy. And so, like, the maid literally walks around the house and does the laundry and, like, cleans up the table and makes dinner and washes the dishes. And gets berated as well. And Yeah, and gets yelled at. And then the, um, the other guy literally, like, goes and picks the old invalid guy out of the bed and takes him to the bathroom and administers his medicine and pushes him around in the wheelchair. And I'm like, is this like (laughs) made simulator? Like this game's really boring. Like how long is this going to go on? And it goes on for a little too long. uh, Well, yeah. And I don't, I don't necessarily know. This is what I've been struggling with. Like now that I've played the whole game is I don't necessarily know if it went on too long or, because in the context of the game, I don't know how many chapters there are, but it felt like there was like 30 chapters, like almost like 10 chapters per character. Right. And especially the final three chapters, they're just really, really, really long. Right. And there are a lot of different like in the very final chapter of the game, there are three potential flowcharts that I didn't even access. So there's six flowcharts altogether, three of which I d- didn't even touch. <laughs> so <laughs> it's uh, it's extraordinarily complicated. And so in the grand scheme of the game, I now don't feel like I played, you know, Robot Maid Simulator for too long. But when I first started the game, and this, this is probably, um, there's a lot of factors here because, you know, first of all, I played the demo. So I had already played through the first chapter, which was the exciting Connor cop story. Hmm. Then I had watched Matt play the maid simulator and the medical doctor simulator dude, not even doctor, like medical helper dude. <laughs> like I'd watched those two be played through and then I had to play through them as well. So I had a lot of kind of lead up to these chapters. So, I mean, the flip side of that, I knew what to do. I knew where all the unlockables were. So it went by a little bit quicker. But still, I felt like I was playing for a good, like, two-ish, maybe longer hours before things really started to pick up. Yeah, it's definitely two hours. In the grand scheme of, like, a... 20 to 30 hour game depending on how intense you get when you're looking for things two hours of setup is not a lot like that's probably fine and i do think that they really did a good job of setting up like the conditions of the androids and why it was that they break their programming and Mm -hmm. you know all of that kind of stuff that sets up the greater game I thought they did a really good job with that. And I think that had they um, had they not had those early like menial tasks levels, then it wouldn't have been as impactful as it was like because uh, like the story, the way that the story works and all like the articles that you read and the news stories that you hear and, you know, the way that the whole rebellion thing kind of plays out. Mm-hmm. It's so much more meaningful because you understand what the android's life was like before. If you didn't yeah. have that touchstone that they set up in the first few chapters of the game, I don't know if I would have been as drawn into the story. Yeah, and to say 
to say this about those those the, the intro chapters, um, you know, I was hoping to play this, at least have Ashley sit down and, and play with me for the first few chapters. And then once Kara was doing the dishes, she's like, we a- we have, I- I'm going to go do dishes. Yeah, I have actual dishes <laughs> there, to do. Yeah, there, that's what I was like, Kara and like, I'm sitting here like being a maid for somebody else when my own literal house needs all of these things done (laughs) i i felt bad because it was like i just i've i've been i had the game in my hands for the whole weekend didn't get a chance to play and it was like sunday night and i finally get to to sit down and and i felt bad because because she was like i'm bored i'm going to go do the dishes that are sitting there from dinner and and i was like ah crap Uh, but um (laughs) yeah but once you get through that it's it is important to understand what we're putting these these robots through in in this in this game and I mean, I don't know if you want to be cynical or negative. I know there are people out there that are like, I'm not going to play this game. It's just about a hokey pokey, like just going to preachy preachy. And there's a bit of that in there. But if you kind of just focus on them telling you an interesting near future story and just just enjoy that, at least what I from my perspective, it's really easy for you to look at it and find ways to to really dislike it. And even the news about sort of the developers and, and stuff like that the the game it looks great i think all the voice acting is is really well done i i love connor like he's like my favorite part about the game so far and uh you know marcus is all right but uh kara's really i good love too. marcus i know you do I, I love the actor who plays marcus <laughs> he he's a, like all the the three main robots and their actors do a really good job or at least the developers take their their work and do a really good job to portray them as sort of well robots and mm-hmm. i think connor pulls it off the best uh or that actor i does. find it really interesting that you're talking about like which of the characters you like more or less considering you are literally controlling everything that those characters do and say and how they act marcus <laughs> just i don't know about marcus he just doesn't he just he seems kind of i'm not as i didn't beat the game i'm only about maybe i'd say knowing that it took you 30 hours about a quarter of the way through and i think marcus's story i'm imagining really you know hits its stride a little bit further than where i'm at because i haven't quite gotten to the revolution part um but uh yeah i think marcus took there was like one two three four five there was probably a good like five or six Marcus specific chapters before his story really picks up. Yeah, so I'm doing the graffiti part. So if you've played it, you you know right. What I'm talking yeah, about. so you're still another chapter or two away from yeah. where Marcus's story really starts to get interesting. They're all great. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I just that's that's my like order of of preferences. Once Connor comes in, because he's also paired with Clancy Brown, that yeah. actor, and it's like I love it. And I just I want to do as many things. To have this like Startsky and Hutch robot and grizzled old detective just having a good time and being all buddy buddy, and I'm getting that, so I'm appreciative of that. And I know like yeah, the game. I do. Going, but... So the character in game that you're talking about is Hank, hmm. the detective guy, and yeah. he's played by by Clancy Brown. And the voice acting on Hank's character is extraordinary. It's very, very, very good. And you're right. I do. I like the dynamic between the two of them and how much Hank is struggling. And you get some hints later on about exactly what it is that Hank is struggling with. But I totally failed the conversations. Two of them that would have like actually told me Hank's backstory. Oh, wow. Um, 
And that's actually one thing that I really liked about this game because um, I think there there were a couple of chapters that I did go back and replay through. And uh, one of the chapters I replayed through, my first playthrough was very, very short because um, I ended up essentially like failing, like getting the worst possible outcome just because of where some of the prompts showed up on the screen. Because it's like there are, as you move on in the game, mm-hmm. you get more and more uh, quick time event sequences, which, first of all, I hate especially when I'm used to playing on an Xbox controller and all the prompts show up uh, as PlayStation buttons. And I'm like, oh, where is that one? (laughs) So um, you get more and more. And on top of those, they actually introduced a mechanic that I prefer, which is basically like time. So a timer will show up on the screen and it'll say like, you have 10 seconds and you have to like do something in 10 seconds, or if you don't do something, then that will be another branch of the flowchart is like the you failed to act branch. So there was one chapter that had one of these like 10 second or less timers in it. And you had to kind of like look around to see all your options. Mm -hmm. But it was also almost like you were in slow motion. So I only actually saw one option. So I hit that option thinking it was the only one and it basically instantly ended the chapter. And I was like, oh, (laughs) so then I replayed to go back because I'm like, I must have missed something. And it turned out I did miss something. So then I actually played through the whole rest of the chapter. But um, I find that like even when I failed, it was still a really interesting branch. And there still was like that's that's kind of what I liked about this game is that there there was no like game over. There was always, you know, more game to play regardless. Like I had main characters die. I had side characters die. I had like all kinds of stuff happen and there was always more. So I think that that's a like it made the story really interesting because it's like you actually didn't have any safe characters. Like there are some characters that are safe for a certain amount of time in that, like the, the one chapter I was talking about the first chapter that I replayed um, the character, the Android dies in either branch. Um, But then he ends up like, he's not like dead, dead. He, he rebuilds himself a little bit later on, which was cool, which was super cool. Mm -hmm. And so there, there's kind of like, moments like that early on because they they drive forward the story that the that they're trying to tell but very very quickly deaths become permanent like there are literally no safe characters in become human like hmm. i kind of thought that my characters were just going to you know i was going to have those three main characters all the way through but you could totally lose a main character which wow. i thought really neat so did you so did you lose a main character like a main character playable character or um not permanently but i did have deaths that then were with like i don't want to i don't want to spoil too much so it sounds like you had some well so i had i did have some characters die and i thought they were dead and then uh they ended up coming back in one way shape or form and there's actually an achievement um, when you hit the third last chapter for having all three main characters make it that far in the story. Oh. 
Uh-huh. So you can lose them because there's an achievement for it. Okay. So somewhere between like chapter 10 and chapter 20, <laughs> main characters can die. <laughs> yeah. And which is I, really cool. And they can definitely die at the end. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, that's that's not surprising. Obviously. Yeah. Um a couple things that that really should be noted is that uh, personally, I think this game looks amazing. Like I don't know what they've oh, done. Visually? Yeah. Oh, crap. Yeah, it's Just, gorgeous probably the best looking game i've seen on the playstation 4 with what they're trying to do like very you know very clean environments very the ui the way it pops up and everything is sort of like displayed with leds and stuff and then even the grimy sections they are done in a way that that are very well portrayed so i think that aspect it's just a visual they take the visual novel aspect of what Telltale is trying to give you, and they really do uh, deliver on a visual, you know, experience. Whereas, mm-hmm. and again, I'm not trying to give Telltale shit, but like their engine's garbage. Like it's not good anymore, and I don't think their games have looked great in a long time. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they 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 really need to revisit them. But uh, with this game, it it kind of blows all of that out of the water and. The last time I experienced something like this with a genre like this was until dawn, you know, that we both loved, mm. you know, and that was that was where I played it. And that's actually where I stopped playing Telltale games, or at least the ones that I that I didn't have to play. You know, I, I stopped playing them because it's like, well, I played until dawn. This isn't going to live up in up to until dawn. So I just that's the experience level that I'm looking for. And I think this is a game that really delivers. And it's funny because until dawn was another PlayStation exclusive. Yes, and and that goes you know go, goes back to you know we'll talk about E three coming in two weeks and there's lots of stuff happening and the fact that this is the second exclusive PlayStation four game that's come out in the last well last couple months that has just been in my opinion really really great and you look at what Xbox is doing in Microsoft and yeah like the PC Xbox stuff is really cool but Sea of Thieves you know not my cup of tea state of decay 2 while fun just really just <laughs> barely hanging on in terms of you know uh you know a functioning game very buggy um not a lot of depth to that one as well and i just i wonder like if if, they, if microsoft really just can't come out with some games like this you know where it's it's a no-brainer for us 80 dollar purchase like full price game uh, I have not seen that from Microsoft in, in a couple of years. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say, too, because I know when I first played the demo, one of the things that I mentioned was the controls. And uh, you do eventually get used to the whole, like, um, using your right stick to interact with stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, after you play the game for a little while, it's not as annoying as it was when i was just playing the demo so you do you do eventually get used to to playing like that so mm-hmm. i think that was that was one complaint i'm trying to remember if there were any other complaints that i had from the demo but i feel like the fact that i set aside slash managed to find like 30 hours from release because this game just came out what friday thursday it's been less last than a week, week. Yeah, it's been less than a week and I beat the game. Like, I haven't played a game with this level of, like, I need to finish it and see how it ends kind of intensity since Horizon Zero Dawn. So, I yeah. mean, the the story here isn't quite as... Um, 
Well, I don't I don't know, because I mean, it is it, there's so much still that I have to experience and play. So I don't even know how to kind of compare it to Horizon Zero Dawn because this world was pretty fleshed out, too. I've got to say, I also really, really enjoyed reading the um, like you find like magazines all over the place. And they're mm. like uh, because it's so near future, I think it takes place in what, like 2038. Yeah. So it's like 20 years in the future. And there's a lot of articles in those um magazines that I find are they were interesting and believable and pretty cool for world building so I enjoyed finding and reading all of those articles yeah and only a decade since the androids uh from Cyberlife the company that makes them had been introduced to to the public so that's like think of the iPhone that's how long Mm -hmm. androids have been around and you see sort of it's a really good comparison actually because you kind of see in the game that androids are everywhere you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, smartphones like the the dec- the last decade of how smartphones have just ballooned is a really good sort of comparison because everybody in the United States has some one of these androids. Uh, so so they're they're running buses. They're running. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they were running the bus system, but they were running a lot of like shops and restaurants and, and even the police station. They were you know secretaries and stuff. So uh it's it's really interesting to see that and i and you mentioned the articles i found one it was like i always joke that in these no one no one addresses canada in any of uh, uh you know pop <laughs> culture and this yeah. one specifically name dropped canada for a couple yeah. things like you know the us and russia are, are kind of batting heads and it's like canada and uh you know the rest of europe would just appreciate if everybody just had, had cooler heads and yeah and, just it, chilled out <laughs> yeah and, the, and hey it's kind of interesting uh like you said it's a it's a close future but there's also an article where canada is this uh android free country and they kind of mm-hmm. it's kind of advertised that way so it's it's interesting to look at you know america being this hustle bustle get things done industry 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 and the rest of the country, the rest of the world is just like, okay, whoa, like let's slow our roll on, on all these androids because they talk about like, you know, uh, the the unemployment rate shooting up to like forty percent because all the jobs are being taken by these androids. Like, there's a really, it's not a very, where I'm at in the game, it's not a very complex story, but it's a very like believable story in that like, yeah, I remember the last time we replaced uh, people's jobs with machines. There was a high unemployment rate, you know, like mm-hmm. there was a crash. Um, it's kind of interesting to to play through that from what could be, you know, not you know, an a near future, but maybe not our lifetime to have like these th- these robots are pretty spectacular. I don't think in they're right up there with the Westworld robots that like yeah. legit look like humans and there's, there's yeah. no way in like 20 they, years they take there. their little led out of their temple and all of a sudden you can't tell androids from humans okay so. i thought that was a little silly in that they don't explain it at all and they just they can just kind of pop out the chip and then no one can tell whether they're human or not and it's just like i don't know i would think that chip would be like harder to remove or have some kind of like faulty actual function instead of just like the spinning windows circle that tells you when they're processing things <laughs> it's it's nitpicky just to say that i i in my opinion like to say like uh you know what, what is it but in my mind if that was there as a function if you ripped it out it would have some sort of connection to be like hey this robot or a tracker like they never talk they talk about androids going missing and it's like where is the android it's like there gotta be like three or four GPS things in there, you know. Like, <laughs> like 
he takes a foot off. It's like, well, there's still a GPS in the left butt cheek and the upper temple. Like, <laughs> I don't understand. They, they that explain logic. it a little bit more further on. I'll Do they? put it that way. The, yeah. Even the chip in the head like thing, like the popping of the, uh, the windows. Not specifically the chip in the head thing, but the idea of why they can't be found. You know, I imagine like as I get further, there's there's some sort of uh, human, you know, error or software AI learning gobbledygook that they'll use to explain what <laughs> happened. But I don't care because like I'm I'm enjoying what they're laying down so far, and and I'm I, I'm in every time I sit down to play it, I'm always like, oh, one more chapter, one more chapter, because each chapter, at least where I'm at, feels to be about between 20, 20 minutes to an hour. And it's a good, it's a good experience. Then you move on to another character. They get and, a lot longer. <laughs> yeah. I, right now I'm feeling like every character is really different. You know, like mm-hmm. you have your Connor interrogations, you have your Kara, you know, uh, segments, and then you have, uh, you know, Marcus, who they're all very, very different, at least where I'm at. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I mean, and we'll probably talk off air because I don't want to spoil anything for anyone, but there's a certain part in Kara's story that I think you're coming up on. And I'm really interested to know what you think about it. So, mm. um, we'll get there. We'll get yeah. there and we'll probably talk off air. Cause again, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but, um, yeah, destroy it, become human. If you have a PS4, highly, highly recommend it. Um, I haven't actually had a chance because I was just playing Detroit, but I haven't had a chance to play heavy rain yet, but um there it's it wasn't a pre-order bonus uh it was a um just basically like a regular edition deluxe edition sort of thing so for 10 extra dollars you got a copy of heavy rain and i double checked it on the playstation store and they're selling heavy rain for 30 bucks so if heavy rain is something that you're interested in then um get the get the bundle because it was only 10 extra canadian so i don't even know what the difference in price will be in american so Hmm. um but yeah, so definitely worth picking up. It was a lot of fun, a really good story. And like I mentioned, there are so many stories for me still to discover within this game. So the replayability here is absolutely incredible. I can't wait to actually get back and redo some of the things. Because there's, there's some times that I lost some characters that I'm like, okay, if I just memorize this quick time event, then I'm going to be able to save them and it'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's but a yeah. fun game. Overall, yeah, it's a very, very good game. Very visually pleasing. Uh, the controls get you get more used to the controls. They have more quick time events near the end than there were at the beginning, but um, still, I think if you don't mind quick time events, then obviously it's going to be fine. If you really do hate quick time events, even if you absolutely, totally, utterly fail, there's still story. Like the story is going to keep progressing. You don't have to go back and like actually try to beat it. So I think, you know, it's probably the best iteration or like the best way to integrate quick time events into your game is that even if you fail, there's still something afterwards. So, mm. uh, yeah, I think overall, I, I totally recommend this game. I think it's gonna it's got like an 8.6 or something overall on Metacritic, yeah. I want to say. So it's doing very, very well. I've seen a lot of positive talk about this game. So, uh, yeah, go and check it out. Ryan, you've found some time to play something as el- something else as well this week <laughs> i did yeah i i, uh, I played uh, i streamed a little moonlighter uh this new indie game i i've had it for a while but i hadn't again i hadn't had a chance to play it until i sat down and uh for a stream but uh, moonlighter is a sort of a, it's another roguelike so i don't know i can't remember which episode we were talking but i was saying that all roguelikes are of the pixel variety well this is a roguelike 
with a with a very pixely art probably place it like an up res super nes type style so like a 16 bit and i think it was about a month ago when we were talking about i was playing that city of brass game right it was like the egyptian sort of desert palace style mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for yep. the bioshock guys that- yeah, I think that's when we were talking about pixelated roguelikes. <laughs> yeah, so this is back to the roots of roguelikes, where it's a pixel pixel graphic. And I was actually on stream talking about it, and uh, I, I think it was maybe Rakamar or someone in chat was saying that roguelikes are, are more indie-focused because it allows you to build you know, a, a gameplay loop and then expand upon that, you know, with, a, you know, if it's well-designed, it can still be a small gameplay loop, but if it's well-designed, it's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, like a roguelike is very inherent to indie development because you can, you can take a smaller project and sort of balloon it with, uh, with, with great effort and great design. So in this one, it's a roguelike, another one, it's called Moonlighter, and that'll make sense in a second because by mm-hmm. day, you're a shopkeeper and by night, you go into these. You go into the dungeons. There are five dungeons, so four little dungeons, and then one main dungeon that you unlock. And I'm sure it's a beast and very hard to kill things in. And you start off in the dungeon. It kind of gets you used to the combat and, and and gives you the idea of how combat works. And and then you die because it, it basically it does one of those because things. Because obviously, <laughs> well, it does not because obviously it does one of those things that I actually really don't like in video games where it where it throws enough at you to force you to die, mm. you know, not from a story standpoint, but from a gameplay standpoint, like there's no way to succeed and it, and it kills you on purpose. Um, so that's a little bit frustrating and kind of sets up the beginning of kind of the issues I've, I've, I have with this one, uh, with this game specifically. So when you're in the dungeons, you're collecting materials as you kill things and trying to progress. It reminded me a lot of uh, Binding of Isaac in the way it's set up where you come into a room and there's a map in the lower lower corner and there are doors that you can go through and you're you're moving in eight directions and you can combat and and, and uh, you take out enemies that drop uh, materials and those materials go in your bag and and rinse repeat and there are levels to each map so you're kind of progressing they're all randomly generated and you're looking for that progress to level two type thing mm-hmm. um so when you when you die or you decide to warp out you can warp out at any time and take your loot uh, when you warp out, you go back to town, and there are ways in town to sort of upgrade your equipment and upgrade the town and bring more shopkeepers in. But the main loop continues in that you go into your shop, and you open up the shop, and you, you have a, a table where you can place items to sell. And you set the price, and there's this whole economy system where you're trying to set the price at a, at a good level where your customers are coming in, and they'll react to the price and in either like a you know grumble i'm not paying this much to a, oh my gosh i can't believe this is so cheap um <laughs> and it ranges in there and there's also like popularity levels for items so if you like flood the market with stones at a high price the the price will crash and then the popularity of that item will become very low so it's harder to sell so there are those interesting mechanics uh where but where the day is kind of taken that's how you make your money you don't find gold in the in the dungeons you just sell the stuff you find um in the beginning that's actually really quite interesting Uh, i really dug that sort of gameplay loop however um as i continued to play the day night day night you know dungeon selling dungeon selling got a bit old because i didn't feel feel like i was like progressing fast enough 
um, I kept dying every time I found the second level of the dungeon, even though I wasn't finding the appropriate materials or the appropriate or selling enough materials to make enough gold to upgrade my equipment fast enough. Mm. Um, and that's that in there is the issue with with some roguelikes and, and their design and that if you're not progressing fast enough, you feel like you're running on a treadmill and you're slowly eking towards the edge of it and then you're going to fall off and skin your face. I don't know. Bad analogy. But you know what I mean? And that it's not... Yeah. It stopped, it stopped being you fun. You need to feel like you're progressing because that's the the thing that redu- or releases the chemical in your brain that makes you feel like you're having fun. Yeah. Serotonin. Like, exactly. The happy, the happy drug. Yes. So you're not getting enough happy drug when you're playing this game. No, <laughs> no, I, I, I felt that way. It was around the two hour mark or the hour and a half mark where I was like, I feel like I should be doing better. And I feel like when I enter that second level, I have played long enough that I should be able to progress because once I got into the second level, yeah, you're getting more material, you're killing more enemies, but they're also stronger enemies. So they're taking long to, longer to kill. They're hitting you for much more. And it felt like I had gotten the, the first level down to a science. And every time I hit the second level, I was like, oh, well, I'll do a couple rooms. But if I die, I'm going to be really pissed because I just cleared the first level. And that happened a couple times. Yeah. Um, there is there is some interesting death mechanics in that when you do die, you don't really die. You just warp. You just get spit out by the dungeon. The dungeon's like, you're not worthy and spits you out. So you lose everything in your bag, but you keep whatever's on your person. So that's an interesting mechanic, uh, unlike other roguelikes where when you die, you lose everything you've uh, mm. accumulated. So there's some interesting twists here. And, and may, you know, I'll go back to it and kind of give it another shot because maybe I was just, you know, I was missing some upgrades or missing some clear paths that, that need to be taken. Because, you know, when you hit a wall in a roguelike, it's like, okay, I need a piece of equipment to upgrade. I need something that's going to make me stronger. What is that? You know, maybe I wasn't getting the right materials or maybe that's the other thing. Maybe I was selling the wrong items that I needed Mm. to upgrade my equipment. So I had all that gold and I put it into the town to kind of upgrade some of the shops that were available. But really what I should have been doing is upgrading the blacksmith and then getting better equipment. And maybe let's say you need iron to to build a specific type of equipment. And I was selling all my iron that I was grinding, you know, because... There is this sort of in my head, like, well, when I get back to town, I need to sell everything, right? Because I need gold. But really, you need gold and materials. So there is that. There are those layers that for for people who are looking for a roguelike with a different twist, this is certainly it. Like if if you play every roguelike and you're looking for a, you know, a different style, this is uh, this is something you should definitely look at, especially if you liked Binding of Isaac, because I think it takes that gameplay and add some some new layers to it so uh yeah the first impression for me was i felt like i wasn't having i wasn't progressing fast enough um but i might it might have been me maybe i made a mistake i don't know it's hard well, to but tell. you you never really like i mean if you did make a mistake clearly you made a mistake that was extraordinarily punishing and i feel like that's kind of a mistake too if the game doesn't give you enough kind of guidance to mm. tell you what maybe you want to be doing like if you came back into town the first time with a whole bunch of you know materials then maybe a little shopkeeper could run out and be like oh 
you have iron? I know the blacksmith talked about a rumor of being able to make a, a fancy sword or blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, they can drop little hints like that from mm. NPCs that can kind of help to, to guide you a little bit. So, I mean, you don't want games to totally hold your hand, but at the same time, like, you don't want to have to go to, um, like, you don't want to get frustrated to the point that you give up and stop playing the game because then you're not playing the game right. um but you also don't want to have to like go to outside resources and research a whole bunch of crap about like the best materials to grind at the beginning and like basically you don't want to have to go look for a walkthrough no. so i think there's a there's like a happy medium there between like difficulty and also help and uh, doesn't really seem like since this is such a new kind of mechanic adding in the player driven economy um I think that that's because it's such an interesting and unique mechanic in a roguelike, maybe it should have been explained a little bit more to the point mm. that like they should have told you like, oh, the blacksmith is going to need the iron that you're gathering yeah. as well as, you know, some gold or whatever, like you yeah. need to balance. And if you played a couple hours without being given all that information, then you feel like you've wasted your time now. Right. So yeah. I think I that's like not so much on you making a mistake as like the developer maybe not giving you enough hints yeah <laughs> i had someone in chat be, well same person uh, say basically like hey if you go into the blacksmith and kind of look at what you want you can add it to a favorites list and then it stars those items in your inventory so you know like probably don't want to sell this one you know keep a stack handy and mm. to the game's credit like you have a storage in in the in the house and when you put stuff in storage you don't have to take it out again to do crafting so they're they're oh, nice. they're making design smart design choices and the game does look really cool it's got that sort of like higher res but blurried pixel look to it so it kind of it it's hard to explain but it, it does look really cool and the economy shop system is neat. It kind of reminded me of a more expanded like Stardew Valley where you're you're trying to take what you're earning. So the gameplay feeds into the economy and the economy feeds back into the gameplay and there's that loop, you know, mm -hmm. that, that is really cool. And, you know, I'm not I'm not the uh, the greatest finance person, especially in video games, you know? So when I come in and I make a bunch of money, it's like, ah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go try to upgrade some things without actually looking at tooltips or figuring out like maybe I wanna prioritize a better sword or different weapons. Um, because you can hold two weapons at once and, and swap through them on the fly. So there's a lot there's a lot of cool stuff about this game. Um and I and I, and I think it's certainly worth checking out if if you like roguelikes, but you're right, like if if you're not careful you can kind of fall into this this ditch. You can still cl climb your way out of it, but it's just going to take, like, you're going to feel like you wasted a bit of time as you're, mm -hmm. you know, not really seeing progress, the type of progress you want. So overall, yay or nay? Uh, you know, I'm kind of like in the middle, you know, like it's hard to recommend without, you know, actually enjoying it myself, but I feel like if you do like roguelikes and you're looking for a twist you should give it a shot. Um, I didn't hate it. I just felt like... Yeah, but you never hate anything. <laughs> I, uh, that's not true. I've hated some games. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't hate this one by any means. I, I think it's a it's a really cool you know twist on the genre. I just felt like maybe I, I hit a wall that not many other people will hit. Or maybe more people will hit. I think it's just important to know that 
there is that there's balance. a potential wall there <laughs> yeah it, it, it's like the invisible wall you're just letting people know that there's an invisible wall there and you don't want them to run into it it was frustrating for me but i yeah. i dug parts about the game where i feel like it's worth learning from those mistakes and giving it another shot so yeah moonlighter uh don't make the same mistakes i did uh be wary of of selling everything that there is that yeah. that pitfall you can fall into yeah fair enough uh, so if you guys would like to support the show, if you like the words that are coming into your ear holes right now, you can go over to patreon.com slash gamers in to help support us. You can also go and join our community over at bit.ly slash TGI discord. There's a lot of really cool conversations going on over there. And there are also, uh, chat channels for people if you want to vote for game night. So we do a patron game night every third Thursday of the month. Uh, so yeah, you guys can uh, join us again over at bit.ly slash TGI discord and support us at patreon.com slash the gamers in. We have a patron ad from Simon this week who says weekly news desk is a podcast all about the geek news this week. You can join your two knucklehead hosts, Andrew and Simon, as they keep you informed on movies, TV, video games, and books. You can find them on iTunes or at weeklynews.com. That brings us to our topic of the week this week. We are talking all the Pokemon news and Ryan, I'm going to let you take this one away. True. Pokemon. It's back. Uh, Yay! <laughs> and it's for everyone. No, um, it's interesting. People think of Pokemon as this Nintendo franchise, and it is a Nintendo franchise, but it's actually sort of managed by a separate company where Nintendo has a third of a stake in it. So it's it is Nintendo, but it's not Nintendo in a way that E3 is two weeks from now, and Pokemon has decided to just be like, "Hey, this is all our stuff." It'll be at E3, but we want to get ahead of everything. So here's everything. They they announced um, available right now a, a game called Pokemon Quest. It's this like QB. I don't actually don't know what it is. I downloaded. It, I haven't had a chance to check it out, but it is free to play, and it's on your Switch, so you can go check that out now. They announced uh, Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Pokemon Let's Go Eevee. Uh, those are coming out in November, and I put this I've in here. I've got to say, like. I saw this and I saw people being like, okay, are you going to go with Pikachu? Or are you going to go with Eevee? And I was like, okay, so is this for Pokemon Go? Like, I was really confused by the name. Mm-hmm. You already have Pokemon Go. Could you not have called this Pokemon anything else other than just putting one word in there? Because I just, I couldn't. And I know that it does have right. integration with Pokemon Go, so I understand. But I just, I wish this was called anything else because I found it super confusing when I was reading these stories, even just to differentiate like what was happening in this new Pokemon Let's Go, what was happening in the just Pokemon Go sections of like the integration and interactions and stuff. I was just like, it was so hard to kind of keep them separate. I think that was probably a conscious decision on Nintendo's part, but I feel like it was really, really confusing. And I wish that there was like, I don't even know if you, even if it was like, oh, I don't even know what you would call it, but let's go and go. They're just too close together. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, but like, I think that the connection, yeah, the connection is there in a way that you want to connect. You want to have those names line up in some fashion. And I think it's really, this is kind of, if you wanted to connect in a way like that, this is kind of w- what you do because the other one is like Pokemon, uh, you know, uh, there's Pikachu, colon, play with your Pokemon Go. I don't know. But <laughs> it's it's interesting in that this is kind of the first, you know, Nintendo project that is directly linking with their mobile efforts. And I know, again, Pokemon is a separate company. They do things differently. But 
this is legit like a Pokemon type game on the console that will link up with all your hard effort of walking and launching, you know, uh, opening eggs and catching Pokemon. And you, I guess it looks like you can just, you bring your Pokemon into the Switch. It actually reminded me of an expanded, they had these games called Pokemon Stadium and Pokemon Coliseum on the N64 Mm -hmm. and GameCube, where you could transfer your Pokemon from your Game Boy and Game Boy Advance games into the console game. Which was the thing that used to confuse the heck out of me because Mm. I had, like, I think I had Pokemon Stadium. And I was like, but I didn't have any Pokemon in it. And I'm like, I don't understand how I'm supposed to play this game. And it's because it was an integration from outside the game and you were supposed to battle Pokemon you already had. But I didn't have a Game Boy. So I was just like, I got this Pokemon Stadium game. And I'm like, now what do I do? So import my Pokemon from what? (laughs) That's like buying one of the, like, Super Shot games and you don't have the Super Shot. I was so sad. I was so, so sad. You know what you missed out on? You missed out on taking pictures and then taking your save data to Blockbuster and printing out little stickers. That's what you missed. I think that was Pokemon <laughs> Snap, actually. But That sounds like a Snap thing. Pokemon's weird, man. Uh, yeah. but, but these games, it's interesting. It actually, they look cool. Yeah, and it actually looked like um, it. things went both ways. Like, it wasn't just, like, from Let's Go to Pokemon Go or from Go to Let's Go. It mm-hmm. was, like, you could go either or, which I thought was a, was really interesting because one thing that I've seen people complain about in Pokemon Go is like if they don't live near water and you need like 400 Magikarps, like they never, ever see them and catch them. So if you could, you know, be catching them in Let's Go and then transfer them over to Pokemon Go, that would be great. Same with um, really just like any of the Pokemon, if you if you need to catch a whole big number of them or if they're not in your region or whatever the case is, if you can go into Let's Go and kind of like farm those Pokemon and then transfer them over to Pokemon Go, that could be great. Yeah, and, and honestly, I just love sort of the reward because, I mean, let's face it, Pokemon Go is this game that a lot of people have been sort of chipping away at for the last few years and to see that effort sort of transferred into a new game and back and forth is just a really cool piece, you know, like I think they've stated like this is directly, you know, in in sort of uh, reaction to the fact that Pokemon Go is doing so well. Like this game wouldn't exist and without still, Pokemon like Go. I still see a lot of people on my Twitter who are still playing Pokemon mm-hmm. Go. Like it's the kind of thing that didn't really fall off i mean it's not still the phenomenon like everyone isn't running around playing pokemon like they used to be but there's still quite a large audience i think that are that are playing pokemon go and keeping up with all the events and the updates and stuff so yeah i think it's it's good that they're doubling down on this and it's also really interesting that this looks like a fairly deep title Mm mm-hmm I think they said it was like the first 151 Pokemon or whatever. And there's like there's gameplay in there for friends. There's battles. There's like there's a lot of stuff in Pokemon Let's Go. Mm -hmm. But this isn't the main core game title that we're getting that they teased last year. Right. We're getting something next year that is like an actual full on new Pokemon game. Yeah. On the Switch. Last year, they announced the new core Pokemon game coming in 2018, and that appears to have been delayed to next year, uh, second half of 2019, so probably November uh, holiday season. Um, But the interesting thing is when you look at the trailer for Let's Go, 
I fully, I mean, I, I can't say this for certain, but it looks like that would be the engine you go forward with. Because when you look at it, like that looks like a higher resolution Pokemon game. Like if you played any of the 3DS titles, that looks like the next logical step. So the fact that they delayed the main series and brought this one out for November, I think that this is sort of them testing the water with the new engine. And then the next game will look similar to this with maybe more expanded features because let's go while it does have interactions with the pokemon go now i'm realizing yeah it is super confusing it is so uh, confusing thank you <laughs> <laughs> so it's interactions with go um there it's missing it's not a core franchise game because it is missing certain segments there's no online battles there's no uh link battle it's uh it's all kept to the switch and you play switch to switch locally yeah um but it looks like the battle system's there. It looks really, really great. And I think the you know analogy of Let's Go is Pokemon Stadium uh, as Let's Go is to go as Pokemon Stadium was to sort of red, blue, and yellow um, on the Game Boy. So that's a really good way of looking at it. So if, if you're big into Go, you're going to want to check out Let's Go. So Let's Go, check out Go, Let's Go. <laughs> Anyways, the new game's coming out uh, November 16th around the world, and uh, the main franchise core series, whatever you want to call it, is back again uh, in 2019, um, late 2019. So I don't think we'll see any of this in Nintendo's presentation outside of maybe like a 30-second sizzle reel, um, because they, they spent a good amount of time talking about this stuff already, and a lot of info is already out there, so... Mm-hmm. If you're Including one other thing that we haven't actually talked about yet, hmm. which is that Pokemon Let's Go on the Switch. I'm just going to say it's on the Switch now because I think it's just way too confusing. But Let's Go, the Switch game, yes, actually is controlled with only one Joy-Con, which hmm. means they're actually coming out with a new Joy-Con controller type thing <laughs> called the Pokeball Plus. And it's basically a Pokeball with a little kind of joystick in the middle and a couple buttons on it that functions, that has all the functions that the Joy-Con does, but that looks like a Pokeball and you can, you know, throw it at the screen and not, mm. not like actually like no. keep the safety strap around your wrist, people, but yes. you can pretend to throw it at the stream or screen and uh, yeah, yeah. It, it looks really cool and it has a little flashy light on it and you can take a Pokemon... Mm-hmm. from let's go the switch game and then take it with you and things happen yeah <laughs> you can you can show your friends which animal you're you're keeping uh, under forced confinement you know like and poke <laughs> it and then it makes a sound um which i mean jokes aside uh it's it's a really neat feature um, it's you're, super cute. You're, I like it. It's cute. You're paying. I think it's you're paying for the game and then the accessory. I think so. The game's probably full price, and the and the accessory I think is like fifty bucks. Um, yeah. But it does look neat. It lights up. It has voice. Uh, it probably loads a little bit of data on there every time you you do a transfer. So you're getting different outcomes based on the Pokemon. And I would imagine it's probably a Poke like a an evolution of what they had in the Sun and Moon or not Sun and Moon like. Um, it was a it was a DS game. It came with a, it was called a Poke Tracker, and it tracked your steps, and then that was put feed, fed back into the game. So I imagine it has something to do with like tracking your steps and visiting locations gives your Pokemon that you take with you experience, which is honestly again like a great sort of 
bridge of the gap from from go to the switch this switch game i think that's a it's interesting to see them experiment with this stuff and it's pokemon it's gonna sell like hotcakes so like why wouldn't yeah. they throw stuff at the wall yeah why would they put more accessories even if it's just like doesn't even have a screen where you can watch your pinkachu running around in his pokeball like he just has to make the sound and then people will be happy because it is adorable yeah. <laughs> Uh, did you want to talk about the any E3 leaks, or should we just leave that for after E3 when we're actually talking about what people really announce? <laughs> uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey isn't a leak. It's it's a done deal. Uh, Ubisoft uh, released a five-second teaser confirming the leak with just basically a Spartan kicking another Spartan off a cliff. Yeah. So it's happening. Um, Ubisoft is going back to the yearly Assassin's Creed release, which is... Uh, less interesting i don't think which that's is a, a choice good... that they're making yeah yeah just i don't know we'll see but yeah e3 is in two weeks and we'll talk all about it yep all right i think that's pretty much gonna do it for us tonight then you can visit us on the web at gamersandpodcast.com you can also follow the show on twitter or you can follow us on twitter you find me jocelyn at joss plays ryan is at r murphy and don't forget to follow the show at the gamers in Video versions of all our episodes are streamed live on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash thegamersin and are available as VODs after the fact over on Twitch. You can also email the show and let us know what you think about Detroit Become Human or anything else that we talked about tonight by emailing info at gamersinpodcast.com. Thanks for staying with the Gamers In. Remember, tune in next week. Bye, guys. Bye.